It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone. Just got midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Great to have your company here on Ausbeers. You've tuned in for the call live from our Brangaroo Studios. Uh, 10 stocks suggested by you. I had the good fortune to put it to put the, each of those stocks to two experts for their analysis. We do it all in one hour. It's Wednesday the 19th of October. Let's bring in the panel. Andrew Willard from uh, DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Andrew, good to see you, sir. Um, how, how's the fruit bowl of Queensland going? Yeah, good day, Koshi. Um, well, thankfully, we haven't had the poor weather and, you know, we're very mindful of what's going on in particular in Victoria um, and to a lesser degree, New South Wales, of course, just to my east is the Lockyer Valley, which, as you say, is sort yep. of the, the the fruit bowl or the salad bowl of Queensland. And I think those people down in the valley are very nervous. We've got a weather event about to occur here for the next week yeah. and uh, the ground is still saturated from our event back in February. Yep. There's not a lot of... Um, given the water and the ground rather there's going to be a lot of runoff so i think there's lots of nervous people around unfortunately but at this stage we're holding up okay yeah that's good to hear michael gable from fairmont equities is with us uh michael good to see you and these weather events do have a ripple effect to the market we've got whitehaven out with a a warning today bhp the uh, coal production down because of the weather we had costa group the other day because Um, their um, uh, farms are being smashed as well. It's yeah. it's far-reaching, this, is it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, initially, we think of ag stocks as, as being the ones that get affected by weather. But as you say, the mining stocks, yep. but then it flows down to insurance companies, even the banks. So yeah. wide-reaching um, uh, effects. Even, the, uh, even the, um, the supermarkets, as we saw earlier this year, the price of lettuce... Yep. because of the floods in Queensland going yep. up to $10. So it tends to tends to get to all parts of the, uh, yep. the market. It is not going to be great for inflation, that's for sure, if yep. uh, we have a lot of these farm areas wiped out now around Shepparton and uh, the Riverland in South Australia. Uh, fingers crossed everyone gets through OK. Um, let's take a look at some of the stocks we'll be looking at in this half hour. Nine, Entertainment, Endeavour Group, Pilbara Minerals, uh, the Beta Shares Future of Food ETF, which is an interesting one. I don't think that's come up before here on the call. Um, and also Perpetual. Uh, stock of the day, and I um, <laughs> forgot we had Perpetual a bit later this half hour, but uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take a look at Pendle. Uh, market volatility and, inv- and nervous investor sentiment continues to hit Pendle's funds under management during the September quarter as the $2.5 billion takeover talks by Perpetual continue. Uh, Pendle's funds under management for September quarter fell to $104.5 billion. That's slightly down from $111 billion at the end of June. Um, let's see what the 
the experts think of uh, a pendulum maybe the the broader landscape i know zenith has placed some of magellan's funds under review um andrew what do you think of the 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 pendle result today and its share price at the moment and maybe a comment on the wider sector of the of the fund management group Sure, Koshi, I'll, I'll talk to Pendle, but I don't want to. Um, I, don't, I don't want to talk too much about fund managers, simply because we're going to tease people, Koshi. We're going to ask them to uh, dial into the uh, the drop tomorrow, where uh, I'll be talking in depth about that. But I can give you some high level thoughts, um, certainly relating to Pendle. Oh, you are a tease, uh, no, aren't you? Who cares? <laughs> who cares about the drop tomorrow? This is the call today. I know, Koshi, but you know, I'm just trying to build up your numbers. I'm just trying to get that continuity. They're yeah, obviously okay. listening to you and I and Mike today, but we're just trying to, you know, All right. just tease it okay. out a bit. Anyway, okay. so um, I, I guess no great surprise with that Pendle result because we're seeing that across a number of uh, fund managers, seeing plenty of volatility in markets. We're seeing um, outflows continuing, albeit that the scale or the scope of those outflows are abating. Obviously, all the macro stuff that's going on, high interest rates, inflation, geopolitical concerns, you name it, we've got it going on at the moment. So no great surprise there. And in fact, if we look at broader fund managers, if we go back to beginning of 2021, the average PE of a fund manager was 16 times earnings. Today, we're back at eight. Wow. So we've seen a big deep rating in fund managers because of all the things I just spoke about. And there's still some headwinds about, you know, I don't think this is going to turn around anytime soon. However, uh, I think from a Pendle point of view, their potential get out of jail is this takeover from Perpetual. So again, yep. we won't go too much more into that because we're going to talk about Perpetual soon. And I think from a broader um macro point of view, those outflows should start abating soon. So I think fund managers in general, I'm feeling a bit more positive on. We've seen mm. that big uh, derating. But in the context of Pendle, we probably need to get a bit of a read as to whether that perpetual takeover is right. going to be finally uh, sorted out or not. So it's a hold. Okay. Michael? Um, yeah, there's obviously the, the, the current risks that, that Andrew mentioned in terms of poor market outflows, etc. I guess the big question is, well, if you think that we're getting towards the end of the tunnel with this bear market and all the issues that we have, um, and then the market might have a good year next year, um, can Pendle capture that upside? Yep. Uh, I mean, I think the, the likelihood of that happening would have to be low given that over the last several years, they just haven't performed. I mean, in terms of the share price, it peaked in 2015. A lot of these right. fund managers just have not performed well enough. Even during booms. Even during booms. Right. Um, and I think it's a big call to assume that they can get it right when they've got it wrong for the last several years. Right. And coming back to the point about Magellan, you know, two years ago, Magellan was the bee's knees of fund managers could do no wrong. We've seen what's how that's unraveled in the last two yeah. years. So which fund manager can we be confident enough to actually do a good job. I think one of the problems with these fund managers is that they're just not managing the downside risks so well. So where you've had, yeah, you've had markets that have done really well, um, they haven't necessarily captured that upside, but then as markets became difficult, because they're just so big, um, they just don't have the liquidity mm. to be able to uh, defend themselves. And the problem is, if you look at some basic maths, if you've got a fund manager that can return say 9% a year and you compound that for five years, 
then when you have one year where the market's down, let's say they lose 35%, and I mean, that's not unreasonable. The S&P 500's down about 22 yep. to 25. If it drops another 10, there's your 35. You will race five years worth of gains. So yep. I think the big problem is they just can't move quick enough. And that's just a, a symptom of just very large yep. fund managers. Isn't that interesting? It's a really good point because often the best performing funds have been little boutique ones who have got a niche and mm. are building their business. Yeah. Um, you know, Platinum was a classic case. You know, it was it was a rock star before mm. Magellan, but then just got too big as well. That's right. And and I think the smart fund managers. Um, so you know, I'm not painting them all the same brush. You'll see the the smart guys who come to market with a new fund put a cap. Yeah, right. on, on how much they want to, yeah. to raise. Because obviously what I can do can't be done by Magellan, but if there's some sort of middle ground where you have the nimbleness, yep. um, but, but that sort of funds under management clout, then you can actually still do well. Okay, so a no on Pendle for you? It's a no. Okay. All right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to uh, analyse. And uh, Andrew, Sharon wants a view on Nine Entertainment, of course, the owner of the... Fairfax newspapers, the radio stations like 2GB, 3AW, 4BC, um, uh, and also domain.com. Uh, what do you think of Nine? Well, Koshi, if I was to talk more broadly about media in general, uh, I, I think, uh, with, with due respect to those who have a presence on terrestrial uh, platforms, <laughs> um, I think that uh, traditional media continues to be under pressure and really a bit like what we're doing today, being here on Ausbiz, that sort of more digital platforms is really where that, that's where the growth opportunity is. And so from a nine point of view, as you said, you know, they've certainly got all those uh, really important mastheads and, and digital assets, but they're, you know, the investments they have in STAM, the investments that they have in, in domain as well is uh, certainly helping them diversify. Unfortunately, you know, they're seeing a lot of weakness relating to their advertising um, spend from, you know, like retailers as an example, because retail's under a bit of pressure. Uh, share price will be sort of supported by that 10% on market buyback they're doing at the moment. And I note that consensus is about $2.70 relative to the share price where it is, mm. you know, around that $2 mark. So with a P of 10, which is undemanding relative to the market average, which is 16, but only 5% EPS growth and all those sort of headwinds that I just spoke about before, I would think uh, that nine is a hold. Okay. Michael, what do you think of nine? Um, I agree. I think it's I think it's a hold here, um, you know, valuation-wise. Oh. Um, looking at their results in August, um, it was actually quite good. So in terms of the, their revenue growth, um, it was better than expected. Costs were up a bit, um, but you know it wasn't a bad result. But it has come under pressure because of that. Um, obviously, concerns over uh, recession. What next year? You know, how what does 2023 look like for the advertising market? So I think that's weighing on the share price at the moment and keeping it at a reasonable valuation. Um, Charting-wise, it's okay. It's holding the June lows. So for me, it's not compelling enough to, to be a buy. Um, I think there, there are enough headwinds there that could see it uh, come back further and, and maybe that will be a better opportunity. But I'd be happy to hold here. Happy to hold? Okay. And uh, the, one of the better ones compared with the media market? How do you rate it? Oh, look, I'm... Uh, I don't have any sort of favourites in the media market at the moment. It is, yeah, it is a difficult, um, 
a difficult sector. So I think any sector that's that's quite leveraged to um, economic activity and whether we dip into a recession or not, recession or not, um, is quite a, a difficult yeah. sector. So whether it's um, media, uh, discretionary retail, um, but obviously if we sort of get through the next few months and then rate cuts, mm. uh, sorry, rate rises are, are off the table. Um, then that could be a tailwind for, okay. for businesses like yeah, this. Because we had news come up uh, earlier in the week with Nathan and uh, Mark Gardner and uh, neither of them like news. Uh, Mark preferred nine in this space, whereas Nathan was the, the smaller one like, like uh, O-Media and Southern Cross mm. um, was their preference. But both saying you've got to watch out for any economic downturn and the impact. Um, speaking of stocks that hopefully will be immune from a economic downturn. John wants a view, Michael, on Endeavour Group, uh, the big hotel and uh, liquor retailer spun out of Woolworths, of mm. course. Uh, uh, Dan Murphy's is part of a BWS and then a whole bunch of hotels as well. Yeah, in some ways it is fairly defensive. As you say, yeah. I think people still spend on on their alcohol and, and their gaming. And we saw the um, CEO from Treasury Wines, I think it was only yesterday, talking about um, the resilience of, of wine sales yeah. uh, in a downturn. So that, that was a good update by Treasury, mm. wasn't it? Tim Ford yeah. is, uh, and getting the um, diversifying the exports away from China into the US. Yeah, they've, that they've surprised done a good job. everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but with Endeavour, as we know, they've got a very large sort of retail um, sort of footprint um, yep. and then so in terms of risks, you have the, the problems that are associated with that. So, uh, you know, rents, staffing, we've seen uh, mm-hmm. Dan Murphy's recently um, try to uh, grab a lot, a lot more staff through um, uh, sort of quick, I think it was quick phone interviews and they, they weren't able to get the staffing numbers yep. they want. So, look, there are those challenges and the other challenges um, that exist with, um, with Endeavour uh, relate to the poker machines. So in Victoria and, and Tasmania, potential regulatory risks. I think Tasmania might increase the, the taxes and Victoria's looking to introduce gaming limits as well. So there's a few risks there. Um, and when I look at the valuation, it looks fair. So again, I think given the risks, it's probably not cheap enough. Um, the share price is quite volatile. It's had a good few days in the last yeah. few days. Um, but this is the sort of stock, I think, if the broader market has another downturn and it gets cheaper, then that would be the better right. opportunity. Okay. So I, I'd, I'd be happy to hold, hold but it. not right. buy. Okay. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Endeavour Group? Yeah, I like it a lot, Koshi, and not just because I'm a strong supporter of the business, but um, I think of its uh, sort of defensive nature, uh, gin and tonic for those playing at home. Um, but. I I do like the business, but to Michael's point, it's sort of set and odd where it is at the moment. It is sort of fairly priced. It's on a P of around 24 times. Uh, I, uh, Andrew, the miserable, would probably like to buy it at about 680. At 680, I would be all over it because, of course, it is indeed the Bunnings of liquor. Um, It's such a predictable business from that point of view. And albeit the risks that Michael quite rightly pointed out, uh, I note that the guidance that came out on Monday 
from the management was sort of in line with what the market was thinking. But market, uh, sorry, management also pointing out that, of course, Christmas is coming and uh, this will be the first Christmas in three years that there's been no restrictions relating to their hotels business. So they're certainly saying that they're, they're right to go, they're uh, primed, but uh, valuation probably doesn't stack up. But 680, stick it on your Christmas wish list because uh, yep. I'm with Michael, I think there could be a bit of volatility coming. It's definitely one to be buying at those levels. Okay, so I hold for now, but uh, buy at 680 if it gets down to that. All right, let's go from uh, from the Bunnings of liquor back into the mining sector. And Peter wants a view, Andrew, on uh, Pilbara Minerals. They've been riding the lithium wave for the last couple of years, and what seen as one of the leaders when you. Whenever lithium comes up here on the call, it's always Pilbara, IGO, Alkin. <laughs> yeah, and where's where's Henry Jennings when you need him uh, yes. when we're talking uh, when we're talking lithium, the, yeah. the great lithium bull of Osbys. Um, but look, I, I don't mind uh, I don't mind Pilbara, uh, and even if we look at the valuation, it's still only trading on a P of eight relative to that forecast EPS growth coming at around 240% is the forecast for next year. Uh, as you know, when we spoke about this one previously, Koshi, I've said that my preference would be to sort of probably buy it in an ETF. Right. And there's the Globe X ETF uh, ACDC. And in fact, Pilbara is the number one holding inside of ACDC. So in other words, right. you've got 29 other companies that are in this sort of battery technology space rather than just riding the wave. But as Henry would also quite rightly point out, he has a battery six pack, which has just absolutely smashed the performance of ACDC simply by virtue of focusing on those lithium names. So yep. I note consensus is around $3.80 versus the current share price at $4.79. Um, so it is certainly from that point of view, sorry, try 505. Uh, but I, I think from a momentum point of view, you'd probably still keep buying it, albeit, you know, when uh, the market gets unhappy, it's going to get unhappy in a big way quickly. Andrew, the boring, ACDC. <laughs> All right. So, hey, so what are you saying? You're happy to buy it, but you prefer the ETF? I'm saying it's a buy. Right. I'm saying it's a buy. Like if, if you were pinning me down going, you've just got to pick the direct share, yeah. I go, sure, buy okay. a Pilbara. But me personally, ACDC. You go the ETF. Michael, what do you think? Um, I mean, the business is is great. I think, yeah, the, the sector's been covered very well this year. It's the it's the go-to sector of yep. 2022. Um, I wouldn't be buying it here. I mean, to me, it's showing classic signs of you know, retail rushing in right at the end here. Um, right. So if we have a look at where a lot of the buying has come from recently, it has come from retail trading platforms, and it's just exhibiting that that sort of vertical move on the chart. Um, that, that suggests a lot of um, sort of fear of missing out recently. Yeah. Um, it's quite a crowded trade. Um, I think there'll be opportunities to get back into it. I think there'll be, uh, I think we could see it lower down. Are you, um, are you, are you um, making those comments just about Pilbara or do you think those lithium producers all up as a group? Um, Pilbara particularly, right. um, there are some smaller ones which don't display the same um, sort of charting patterns. So right. I haven't seen a lot of the money rush into to okay. some of the smaller ones recently. Yep. So a lot of these smaller ones had that episode back in March yep. before, before easing off. Um, but it looks like Pilbara um, and to right. some extent mineral resources as well. looks like you know, quite a bit of money, retail money's uh, 
come into these stocks and, and I think that'll, you know, you could easily get the rug pulled out from under you. Yep. Um, and then you can come in at cheaper levels. So okay. you don't have to rush into so it. So a no for you on that. All right, uh, thank you for that suggestion, Peter. Uh, next up, this to the uh, ETF whisperer. Margaret wants a view, uh, Andrew, on the Beta Shares Future of Food ETF. If you love that thematic, that fits right into your wheelhouse. Indeed, Henry Jennings does have a lot to answer for, doesn't he? <laughs> um, I um, I hadn't really looked super closely at this one. Mm. And as you said, Koshi, it's certainly one that's come up on, on the call previously. So thanks very much to Margaret for the, the question. Um, I quite like it. I think it looks really good. Oh. Um, so really about a couple of caveats there, a couple of caveats. Um, so if we have a look at it, it's it's relatively new and that is reflective in these funds under management, the FUMs. So there's only about $2 million worth of FUMs. So Hang on, how much? Two? Two. Whoa. Two. Hmm. Gee, that's tiny, is it? It's new, Koshi. It's right. new. And, and in fact, if you have a look at sort of the underlying thematic as to what they're playing with, because this is a thematic... ETF as opposed to a core ETF. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of that sort of future of food, you know, it's things like uh, plant-based um, eating or ah. uh, sustainable packaging and, and that sort of thing. So not really surprising that uh, we haven't seen a lot of money come into it because, you know, behind the curtains, research houses are probably going to say, hey, we want to see a bit more funds under management in there before we start covering it. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg type of thing, no pun intended. Um, but I, uh, I I don't actually mind this from a thematic point of view, because again, if we come back to what are the big drivers in the world at the moment around this sort of ESG space, yep. and decarbonisation is one of them. And how do you get exposure to decarbonisation? Will this sort of smart food technology play is certainly something from that point of view. It's got uh, companies like Archer Daniels, it's got companies like uh, Bungie, um, and it's got a good geographic spread because a lot of these ETFs tend to be very heavy US. This one, not yeah. so much, 57% US, 8% Denmark, 7% Sweden. The index performance that it follows has been pretty ordinary the last 12 months, down about 27%. But again, that's probably reflective of the broader market as opposed to the underlying investments. So I, um, I'd i say it's a hold at the moment only because, again, it's relatively new. And as you know, with new ETFs, Koshi, I just tend to be a little bit wary. But I, um, I think this is probably, if we had a five-year theme basket view, as you know, I like things like cybersecurity and robotics and that type of thing. This would be another one that you definitely have a close eye okay. on in that satellite thematic space. Okay, so it, it's not a straight food agriculture EDF. It's not like the elders in there and the grain corps, United Malts, all that sort of thing. It is food technology. Yeah, so yeah. so on the tin, on the tin, it says smart farming, plant-based, and cell-cultured foods and sustainable packaging. So oh, if you're looking okay. more for that straight yeah. agri, right. traditional right. agri, then um, you might want to think about food, F O O D, from beta shares. Right. Uh, also from beta shares. Right. So that might be another way of playing it. Or again, if you want that more domestic exposure, I agree. Something like an elders I quite like as well. Right. Uh, but if you're playing that thematic five year sustainable decarbonisation yeah. space, yeah. this I eat might okay. be one to think about. That's interesting. Uh, always pays Michael to. Uh, to look behind the name, isn't it, mm. with the, these ETFs? What do you think of this one, Future of Food? Um, yeah, I've, I've got a different point of view. I, I don't really, I'm not a real fan of these 
these thematic ETFs. I mean, in terms of this particular one, there's 46 companies in there. So right. I just think that's 46 way too companies many. for two for two million. Yeah. Right. So the largest is Archer Daniels Midland. Right. Um, and then you have a lot of other companies and they promote it as having, you know, Beyond Meat and these sorts of companies, but Beyond Meat's only 1.4% yep. of the ETF. Um, and the one year performance of Beyond Meat shares is negative 87%. Right. So it's it's one thing to get caught up in the the idea, but I think the next step is you need to narrow down to the best stocks right. that can capture that idea as yep. opposed to taking the easy option ETF 46 stocks. So um, unfortunately, I mean, there's no shortcuts when it comes to investing. You need to put in the time and the money or, you know, one or the other or both. Um, So you either need to put in a bit of time and research what are the best top couple of companies um, or spend a bit of money and get some advice as to what those best couple of companies are. Because when you lump in stocks like Beyond Meat down 87% in a year, it's going to detract from your performance. So naturally, it makes sense that if you can narrow it down to the top, the better ones, then you'll do a lot better. And that comes down to, you know, all the robotic ones and the battery metals ETFs. I mean, we saw the chart of PLS. It's done fantastically well. But if you were in some of these thematic ETFs, I was just having a look at the, um, the BetaShares thematic ETFs. And a lot of them are down to the 30% this year, some right. close to 50%. So again, I think if you could just narrow down to the best stock or two, yeah. um, you just do so much better than right. um, just okay. this broad brush approach. And again, if this has 46 stocks and you've got several ETFs, I mean, before you know it, you've got exposure to hundreds of stocks. I mean, yeah. that's it's too diversified in my opinion. It, right. You're gonna struggle to gain anything from that. Right, okay. Um, Andrew, just a, a question on small tier ETFs like like this. Two, two million in funds under management, forty six stocks. So does that mean that's the forty six stocks that's going to stay with, and every dollar that comes in from now on will just be spread amongst those forty six? So remembering it follows an index. So again, to Michael's uh, point, Archer right. Daniels is eight percent. Right. So 8% of it will go into um, Archer Daniels, oh, okay. and then the index will be reweighted. I'm not sure as to this particular index, but let's say it's annually. Yeah. So the index is reweighted yeah. annually, and Archer Daniel may go back to 6%, and there's something else that comes in, and there's something else that goes out. So really the conversation is around what's the appropriateness of the index that it's following, yeah. uh, and are you comfortable? So to Michael's point, you know, beyond meat down 80-odd percent, well, it's one point something percent of the, ind- of the index, not helpful, but 98% of the index isn't down 80-odd percent. Yeah. Are we comfortable with the constituents yeah. within the index? Yeah. And how's the index constitu- um, made up? Is it based on liquidity? Is it based on market capitalization? Same conversations right. that we have. Right. You know, right. you might remember Koshi for a number of years. Flight Centre couldn't make it into the ASX 20, even though it was one of the top 20 companes by size because Screw Turner owned so many shares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the considerations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And my point was, if it's got two million now in 46 shares, when it gets to 200 million, if it gets there, it will still be in the same 46 shares with the same weighting for the index. Well. Yep. Yeah, let's pretend that that's the case, then it'd be just across that whole spread. Um, But again, that sort of comes back to, will enough people believe in the thematic? And again, I come back to sort of the megatrend piece. My personal belief is yes, decarbonisation is a thing. And so therefore, this will be one part of that puzzle. Okay. 
All right, let's um, move on to our fifth stock today. And Michael, Tim wants a view on Perpetual, the big funds management group, wealth management. What do you think of Perpetual? Um, I guess it comes back to our, our comments at the start of the show. Um, I mean, Perpetual, you have a look at this. This stock's gone from, actually peaked in 2006. Wow. So 80 bucks. Um, Jeez, that's a long time it, ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, could have done a lot with your money yes. um, in that period of time, then, then hold a stock from $80 down to, to 25 So, yeah. look, that's, you know, we can, we can talk until the cows come home about what's happening inside Perpetual, but, you know, it's the scoreboard you've got to look at and it's, uh, it's not going the right way. So, yep. um, and again, in the last, uh, what is that, 16 years, that was the share price performance. Um, will they turn it around in the next 16 years or whatever time frame you have? Um, it sounds simplistic, but yeah, look, if they couldn't do it then, why yeah. would they be able to do it from here on in? Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think you just need to, if you're in this, I think you just need to cut your losses and um, and move on. I mean, I, you know, you look at so other... ETFs. for you. Yeah, look, uh, you know, there's, you know, you think that's bad, you look at, um, ETFs like the ARC, the ARC fund in the US that's down about 70% mm. um, just in the last year and a bit. Um, you know, Kathy Wood buying tech stocks on the way down, Zoom down 80 something percent, still holding it. So, yeah, um, yeah look, it's, you know, it's, I think, you know, it's a big $100 billion fund manager or whatever they are, you know, well paid, well known names, et cetera, et cetera, but I think they still make mistakes. Mm. and uh, I guess they just haven't done a good enough job. Well, sounds like it uh, with this. And Andrew, there's always the old saying that um, you don't buy into a fund, you buy into the fund manager because they make all the money, but some of them don't. Yeah, Koshi, we've been dancing around this, so we may as well get stuck into it, relating to sort of the whole active versus passive piece, and I'm, yep. I'm mindful of time, so I won't take up too much. But we sort of have a look at the the, the research from S&P that suggests, you know, that over 15 years, and we've been having a lot of one-year conversations, but let's maybe expand that timeline, 86% of active managers in Australia fail to meet the benchmark over 15 years. Hmm. So a lot of, when we're having an active manager conversation, so if we bring it back to perpetual, perpetual of value managers, and uh, for the last 10 years in particular, value as a thematic, as a factor, has really performed quite poorly, which is reflective of why uh, they've also done quite poorly as well. Mm. So uh, from my point of view, um, you know, when we're looking at active managers, we really need to see what value is an active manager actually adding from the point of view of their stock selection. So if we're talking perpetual, they've bet on value and unfortunately value hasn't really worked for them. And sort of different managers have different biases at different times, which again, coming back to the ETF piece, if you're focused on buying a passive ETF, you're buying the market, then it's pretty hard to underperform the market if you're, buying, if you're actually only yeah. buying the market. Yeah. Anyway, that's my ETF rant over. So if we then come back to uh, Perpetual itself, I think Perpetual's potential get out of jail is this Pendle transaction that we just spoke about before, because that'll give them about $201 billion worth of funds under management. 
They've gone and bought a couple of businesses in the US as well. They've got the ability to diversify. They also have that corporate trust business. They have that wealth management business. So to me, I'm prepared to cut them a little bit of rope and keep it as a hold. But um, a lot of the issues with them will come to the integration with Pendle if they can make it work. Yep. And if they've got the track record to do it. All right. Let's take a look at the first five stocks. Stock of the day was Pendle and no from Michael Holt from Andrew. Uh, Nine Entertainment, a hold from both. Uh, Endeavour Group, a hold from both. But if it got down to 680, um, then Andrew would be in buying. Uh, Pilbara, a no from uh, Michael, uh, a yes from uh, from Andrew, but he prefers the ACDC ETF, which is the, the basket of, of lithium producers. Um, the Beta Futures Food ETF, a hold from Andrew, a no from Michael and perpetual a hold from Andrew and a sell from Michael. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction growth fantasy fund, which is picked by our investment committee. We film the monthly investment committee meeting uh, and you can see the last one, which is live on the platform at the moment, osbiz.com. Uh, let's see how the portfolio's going. And in the October meeting, uh, the investment committee removed Ardent Leisure uh, they trimmed Babcorp and that was added to Sol Pattinson. Uh, they trimmed Incitec Pivot as well. Seek was added to the portfolio. Its weighting was funded by Ardent Leisure and the Incitec Pivot um, uh, reductions as well. If we look at the portfolio, it's up almost 2% since the 1st of March. And uh, don't forget if you. Uh, keep sending in your requests for the call because that's the first filter to go up to the investment committee which will be meeting again at the end of the month at cmc we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed our mentality hasn't we aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools plus our pricing is completely transparent that's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time so if you're serious about trading switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years trade cfds your way at cmcmarkets.com you don't own underlying assets consider relevant pds and tm your information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour on the call, we'll be having a look at QBE Insurance, REA Group, South 32, Seek, and the Vanguard International, MCI International, uh, MCI, MSCI International Fund uh, as an ETF. Let's uh, look at QBE Insurance first up from Nicole. Michael, what do you think of QBE? Um. It's some way similar to the uh, perpetual we just spoke about because its peak was a long time ago. It yep. was back in uh, 2007, $35. Um, and now we've got an $11 right. per share price. So yep. massive, massive underperformance. Unfortunately, it's, it's one of those sort of former you know, top 20 stocks thrown in the, the portfolio, just leave it forever. Um, but it's, it's done a lot of damage. Look, I think the only positive maybe from here for QBE, rising interest rates, maybe they get a little bit more return on their money, but um, it's clearly been a business that hasn't, uh, yeah, just I gone, been so, run. It's gone for, sideways from that chart, has it? Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I just, yeah, we've, we, you know, we spoke about the natural disasters happening before. I just, again, if they couldn't make it work in the last, you know, 15 years, yeah, tell me what they've got up their sleeve to, to turn it around from here. Yeah. Um, I just think there's better opportunities in the market, so right. it's a sell. Sell. 
Uh, Andrew, what do you think of QBE? Um, a few a few of the experts on the call have been saying, hey, forget the big four banks, uh, look towards IAG and QBE as a beneficiary of rising interest rates. Sorry, I shouldn't shake my head until I heard everything that you had to say. So certainly the last bit is correct relating to being a beneficiary of rising interest rates, as Michael just alluded to. But uh, no, I certainly wouldn't be selling a bank to buy an insurance company. Um, that's yeah, no, that's certainly not a, a play yep. that I would be suggesting. Um, I am concerned that insurance companies in the best of times don't make money over insurance. They actually make money by investing your money. And yes. then we overlay that with all the issues that we have at the moment with investment markets under pressure. Third La Nina about to come at us this year. Lots of reasons not to be in insurance companies in general. Investment markets are tricky. So certainly at best QBE as a whole, but from a broader sector point of view, uh, I don't believe insurance companies are pricing their risk accordingly because if they were, mm. frankly, people wouldn't pay the premiums. Right. Uh, so I, as a broad sector, insurance companies are an avoid. An avoid. No for you. All right, uh, Matt, what's a view on REA Group, the uh, the massive property marketing platform that News um, Limited has, has a big stake in? Well, what do you think of REA Group, Andrew? I like REA and uh, perversely as the property market continues to come under pressure that plays right into REA's uh, wheelhouse because people will be more motivated to sell, they want to get their property up the top of the, the search results so they'll pay more for their premium packages etc. So as a, as a broad business conceptually I quite like it. Um, PE is probably a little bit demanding. Uh, and certainly with that sort of forecast EPS growth, it, you know, my favourite is the PEG ratio. The PEG ratio doesn't really line up there. Uh, Tracy Fellows resigning uh, is a little bit of a concern uh, given, you know, what she's done with that business. But uh, And there's also um, concerns about the integration with Mortgage Choice and their international business. So there's a few headwinds. But overall, I, uh, I don't mind it. But I suspect that if we do see a market pullback, there will be an opportunity to buy this a little bit cheaper. I note the consensus on it is about $140 at the moment. We're at the moment about $119. Yeah, Andrew the Miserable, probably closer to 100 but you know, ROE of 32% and a 24% profit margin. I do like it. So on balance, it's a hold and a buy if it was to come off the boil a little bit. Okay, all right. It is a really interesting business, Michael, isn't it? Because mm. um, Andrew was saying, as he was saying, um, if there's a, a tight property market, you pay a premium to get at the top of the list and that's where yeah. they make their margin. But we had Owen Wilson on uh, Ausbiz a couple of months ago and he was really bullish on their Indian operation, saying that that's basically not factored into the valuation of REA at all. And he was really bullish about about India. Yeah, um, you're right and I agree with, with Andrew as well. I mean, they're they're such a dominant player. They can yep. they can get people to uh, pay more to to lift their their, mm. their profile. Um, uh, they can they can just increase prices broadly across the whole platform because really, I mean, you're still going to advertise on REA. You yep. can you can advertise on domain, but you need to be on REA as well. Yep. Um, you can't avoid it. So they're in a good position. Obviously, the negative at the moment is um, you know the number of listings is low but again if we take a point of view that you know we're through this dark tunnel and we're closer to the end than the beginning of it so maybe 
you know, the interest rate rises uh, finish up at the end of this year or early next year, we're getting close to that point and then that might uh, right. give a little bit of a, 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 a leg up to the, the property market again. So um, the way it's trading here to me looks like a hold. I agree with Andrew, if you can get it cheaper on any further market turmoil, then that might be the, uh, the right. ultimate price to, okay. to pay for it. I just love their innovation. Uh, they were telling me, because how often do you go for a walk and you walk by a house and you go, God, if that ever came up for sale, I'd be interested in it. Mm. Well, they're building a platform where if you see a house, you can actually, they've got all the details of the house because I basically bought and sold every house in Australia, mm. uh, that you can make an offer direct. And just right. say, oh, if you, because apparently a third of Australians think of selling their house every year. Not everyone does. So, yeah. you know. Well, I thought you were about to say, and I don't know if they already have this, that if you're walking, you could use your coordinates to add that to a watch list. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. There's an idea. Well, well now, not <laughs> just not a there. watch list. You can go, oh, or do you want to sell? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, Andrew, uh, let's get back to resources. George wants a view on South 32. Spun out of BHP, all of their uh, all of their dodgy investments and their management have just gone great guns in in running this this base metal operation. Yeah, I, I really do like South Thirty Two as a business. They've done a really good job in managing uh, debt. They've done an excellent job in increasing the dividend. I think the dividend's up about thirty six percent over the last three years. So uh, they're, they're running the business very well. I think probably the big issue for them and therefore us when we're sort of, is it a buy, hold or a sell, is around that deteriorating world economy outlook. Will we go into recession next year globally? And uh, if we look at base metal prices, the base metal prices are almost telling us that that is going to occur, yep. which is why they're uh, under a little bit of pressure at the moment. And I note consensus valuations dropped about 10% over the last three months. So. It's pretty hard to argue with the numbers. Uh, it's trading on a PE of uh, six times. Wow. Uh, and it's paying a 7% fully frank dividend. Now, again, these are historical numbers, so you know you have to sort of keep that in some context. But even over the last five years, from a performance point of view, it's up 8% per annum relative to the broader market, up six. And that dividend that I was just referencing, they're only paying out about 42%. So there is certainly mm. plenty of headroom there uh, should there be a further deterioration. Um, but look, on balance, I think it's probably a whole, Koshi, and I, right. I don't take any pleasure in saying that because I really do like the business. I just yeah. really want to get a bit of a read as to what that world economic outlook looks like. Yeah, and it, this is one of those stocks that you really do need to look at the commodity cycle, don't you, and, and where we are on it. It's driven by that. Oh, 100%, which is why, you know, when we had the uplift in all those prices that sort of went for a bit of a tear. Yeah. Um, that's why it's come back a little bit. I, I just There's no harm in being cautious with these sort of, even like the likes of BHP, I really like BHP, but there's no harm in being cautious just for the very short term. Let's just see what the US Fed's going to do. Let's see what happens with US midterm elections. Yeah. And then we can take a view that as of today, right now, it's a hold. Yeah, Michael? Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's very close to being a buy. Again, we're hopefully mm -hmm. within the next several weeks or so of some sort of resolution with, with these sorts of stocks and, uh, and it becomes a buy. So what I mean by that is, um, again, the interest rate story. Um, in terms of recession, I think a lot of that's factored into the share yep. price having already dropped. Um, and what we often see is when recession hits, 
um, usually that's the bottom in the share market because the market's already looking out six to 12 months. The recessions yeah. generally might last a couple of quarters, three quarters. Right. Usually so if the market's, short and sharp. Yeah, if the market's looking beyond that, it thinks, okay, well, start the clock. We Now we're in a recession. We know we'll be out of it by the end of the year. These share prices are already down here. And you get the share market starting to rally right. and it doesn't make sense to everybody and, and it starts climbing that wall of worry. Um, what also will happen um, when the market is ready to get going and rates stop going up is that the US dollar will stop going up and that will be a benefit for commodities as well. Um, I think there's been underinvestment in the commodity space over the last few years. So look, I think next year will be um, quite rosy for commodity stocks, including mm. South 32. Um, I think it's just a case now of trying to finesse your, your entry point again you know, use the volatility in the next few weeks or so to right. to pick your entry point. But we're okay. getting we're getting close. So if it, if it comes back sort of five or ten percent, yeah. Well, the the low this year in South Thirty Two was was in July around three dollars forty. Right. Um, it's about ten percent downside um, from what I could see here. So potentially, if you get close to that level again, right. um, and it, and it holds, that would uh, okay. that would be an opportunity. All right. Um, let's uh, move on and Tiki wants a view on another platform stock, Andrew, in terms of Seek. This is the, the employment version, if you like, of, of REA. It's almost sort of a Fairfax throwback show, isn't it, Koshi? Yeah. You know, if you think about it, it's Fairfax and the rivers of gold and really what held their businesses up was that sort of online, uh, not online rather, it was sort of the, the uh, advertising you'd have a look versions of the employment guide uh, and the uh, real estate and of course here and we cars. are now talking about estate.com and seek mm. so uh, interesting times anyway belying my age um, <laughs> look I don't mind seek however again number of headwinds in particular that really strong employment market uh, people aren't looking for jobs um, they're resigning from jobs uh, or they're being headhunted. And, you know, I talk to my favourite employment lawyers, <coughs> they tell me things are pretty quiet in their world. Talk to my favourite recruiters, they're telling me that things are pretty quiet in their world and it's very hard to find talent. So I think from a, a, a sort of a macro point of view, I'm sort of struggling with this one because of those issues I just mm -hmm. outlined. And then if I fall back to valuation, it's 27 times earnings relative to the market, it's 17 times and it's forecast EPS growth is around 11%. It's got an average ROE, it's got an average profit margin, it's trading near consensus valuation. So on balance, it's a hold, Koshi. Okay, a hold for uh, for Seek. Michael, what do you think of Seek? Um, part, part of their problem recently is, uh, I guess a lot of people forget that about 10% of their valuation is this growth fund mm. that they have and obviously investing in in tech stocks and, and they've their valuations have, have been crunched. So yep. that's hurt Seek on the way down. It'll help them on the way back up. Um, but to Andrew's point, it, I mean, is it gonna turn around here? When I look mm. at the chart, it actually looks pretty good. It looks like it's trying to turn around, but again, it's not you know dirt cheap. It's sort of mm. thereabouts. Um, the macro environment, yeah, it's not, not ideal. Um, things could get worse before it gets better. So, yeah, I'm a little bit conflicted. I'd probably err on the side of caution and um, maybe just keep it as a hold. If it broke the low from yeah. a couple of weeks ago because of a charting point of view, I'd be out. 
Does uh, that worry you when it went in? Because obviously, Seek was founded by Andrew and Paul Bassett, the Bassett brothers, Andrew, um, uh, president of St Kilda uh, football team, but sort of run, both of them are on the board of Seek. Mm. Paul uh, runs these big venture capital funds that has sort of started one within Seek as well as the other yeah. ones. So does that muddy the water for you when it's a bit like uh, Andrew Forrest having his hydrogen yeah. play within Fortescue, which was a pure play iron ore. Um, are they good things to do or does that worry you as a professional oh, investor? I mean, yes and no, I guess, um, you know, for some people it would it would bother them. I think especially yeah. in the case of Fortescue and hydrogen. Yeah. Um, with Seek, I mean, you could argue that, look, if, if the guy's done a good job and, and if you're hot, you're hot and if he can replicate what he's done elsewhere, then that's a positive thing, especially yeah. when you consider, okay, Seek's grown, grown from the, the young upstart to yep. the incumbent now, and it's quite yeah. mature. So, yeah. so yeah, so at least he's trying to uh, maintain that, that growth. Um, yeah, look, I, I guess yeah. you just have to see. I mean, he's got the it's runs on the board if he can maintain it. Yeah, yeah case yeah. by case. Andrew, does it worry you when they, you know, 10% of the business is, is in a totally different area? Oh, look, when retailers get into dairy farms, that concerns me. But then if I sort of look at um, sort of like a business like Wes Farmers yep. or Seven oh, Group, yes. yep. you know, there are the ones that can do it incredibly well. I mean, as you know, Wes Farmers is one of my absolute favourite companies. You yep. shouldn't fall in love with companies. Disclosure, I love Wes Farmers um, because they run such a really well diversified business. So if they can do it, they can do it well. But then when there's others that perhaps it's not core business and it's right. almost just a side interest, yep. that's where I get worried. Yep, yep, really good point. All right, uh, Andrew, our final stock, or it is an ETF, it is the uh, uh, Vanguard MSCI International Shares ETF. What do you think of? So again, core and satellite conversations. So if we're sort of thinking we want overseas exposure, then this is certainly one way in which you can go about it. And this is the unhedged version, VGS from Vanguard. Uh, it's got about $4.6 billion funds under management for the ETF. Uh, its cousin, for the want of a better term, VGAD, is the hedged version. So if you don't want to worry about where the dollar is going relative to the US dollar and you just want overseas exposure, to the top 1,470 companies, your Apples, your Microsofts, your Amazons, you know, whatever the case may be, VGAD is the one for you. Whereas if you're saying, hey, look, you know, I'm a bit worried with the Aussie dollars going, I think it could go lower or I could go, you know, whatever your, your view of the world is, then VGS might be the way to play it. Um, just talking about performance over the last 12 months, it's down about 16%, so it certainly hasn't been stellar. But if you have a look at how VGAD has done, the hedge version, it's down 25%. Right. So in other words, that hedging in this environment has actually helped you, or lack of hedging, I should say, has actually helped you. Uh, but equally, so I think we all agree at 61 cents with the Aussie dollar, uh, what did it get to in its lows there last decade, 55? You know, mm. at some stage the dollar is going to turn, so therefore you potentially don't want that sort of exposure. So two things going on, Koshi. Is international shares a thing? Well, I think international shares are a thing. We're only 2% of the world. So this is one way to get exposure. But if you don't want to worry about the dollar and all that other noise, then VGAD in the Vanguard staple, and there are other ETFs as well, but if we're talking Vanguard, VGAD would be the way to play it. 
if you think you're smarter than the average bear and you've got a handle as to where the dollar's going, then potentially VGS might be another way of doing it. Okay. Is of all of the ETFs that give you international exposure, does this one stack up? Yeah, so it's in our model portfolio. Right. But I should also stress that, um, as an example, one that immediately comes to mind is from iShares. Uh, they have a more concentrated version, um, IOO, or 100, if you were to sort of look at it visually, uh, or the hedge version, IHOO. So as the name suggests, it doesn't buy the top 1,470 companies, it just buys the top 100 companies. Ah. Uh, that one is another one worthy of people's consideration as well. But certainly in that a core, I want international exposure world, the top 1,470 companies, like I just mentioned, pretty hard to go wrong with this one. So you'd buy into it? Yep. Yeah, so again, yep. are we having a are we having a um, core long-term conversation? Up over the last five years, it's up 9% per annum. Okay. So uh, right. I'm, I'm quite comfortable with it, but there's lots of short-term noise like we've been talking about through this whole show. Okay. Michael? Um, yeah, just further to, to Andrew's point. So I guess you're, at the moment, you need to take a view on, on the, the global markets. I think about yep. 70, 70, 71% of this is in the US market. So yep. yeah, short term, it looks like maybe over the next week or two, the markets will pop higher, but they still have potential to make new lows. So if you're looking for um, that exposure when the time is right, um, you know, you could probably be a bit patient, but um, yeah, to Andrew's point, yeah, currency movements may make a difference when they're unhedged. Generally, when the market's ready to rally, it'll be risk on. It'll be because the US isn't raising rates anymore. So that should be the top in the US dollar. Right. And then the Aussie dollar you know, should yeah. go, go up. Um, so again, if you want to assume that, you could maybe factor that into whether you want the, the hedged or unhedged right. um, ETFs. But, you know, Andrew's the, the pro on ETFs, yep. but you know this one should keep you covered. Okay, with your comment a bit earlier on some of the ETFs are just so wide, this one's got exposure, what, to the top 1,400 companies, iShares just to the top 100. Mm. Would you go the 1,400 or the 100? They'll probably track pretty closely. I right. mean, it's like looking okay. at, I guess, I'm, <clears throat> I'm guessing um, that that'd be fairly close. So when you look at, say, the ASX 200 and the All Ordinaries, yeah, uh, they kind of do the same thing, yep. um, even though because all the other shares are just so so minute. So yeah, um, okay. And so you think the markets will have a bit of a short term run? Looking at the last few days, it's um, I mean, you know, in the last, it's funny given the year we've had, even the last week, I think surprised all of us with the way the yes. markets have have reacted yeah. um, and the movements. But just just over the last two days, to me, it looks like they want to go higher, but I can't be calling this an ultimate low because yeah, given that CPI number from last week, yep. yeah, the market at the moment looks like it wants to assume that that's as bad as it will get and next month will be a lot better. Um, and there's a great possibility that will happen because you know, what we're seeing with shipping rates, price of oil, lumber, yeah, yep. a lot of these inputs um, have come down. Um, but you know, even if we get that, even if we get <laughs> you're that number, you're going to be a brave man to call. You're going to be a little bit brave, even if we get, even if we get a cracking CPI number next month. Will the US Fed react to that or say no? We want another month, and we're yeah. going to keep doing what we're doing. And it seems to be yeah. their attitude at the moment. So mm. I think at the moment we're getting a relief rally. I wouldn't right. be surprised if we're higher in a week or two from now. 
and then things start and to get a bit, bit nervous again. Yeah. Do you agree, Andrew? Uh, Koshi, I'm just being very wary for all those issues that we just raised, US Fed midterm elections, and I think the market will continue to be so, but history also shows post those US midterms that uh, that could be the impetus for us to get our act together. Very quickly, IOO up 33% last year, VGS up 29% last wow. year, so stellar returns, but that concentration risk of IOO drove about an extra 15% additional return. Oh, that's so that's just something to keep in mind as well. Excellent. That's why we call you the Whisperer. Andrew Willard from DP Wealth Advisory. Good to see you, mate. Keep well. Thanks, Koshi. Uh, and Michael Gable from uh, Fairmont. Good to see you, mate. Thank, Thank you, you for your time today. Let's recap the uh, final five stocks. QBE, a sell from Michael. Uh, a no from Andrew. REA, a hold from both. Uh, South 32, a hold from both. If it got down to $3.40, Michael sees it as uh, being that close to being a buy. Seek a hold from both and the Vanguard MSCI international shares if you want that broad exposure. Both of them see it as a good product. Uh, coming up on the small caps very shortly with Nadine, uh, RLF AgTech has uh, figured out how to bypass soil to deliver fertiliser straight to the seed of foliage of crops. Company Chief Executive joins us to tell us how it will work. Um, if you'd like any stocks for me to put to our expert panels, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. And you can check out all the stocks in the calls fantasy portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Small caps coming up next with Nadine. Don't go away. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.